Hello there, listener. Thank you for downloading, streaming, and listening to the Spooky News Podcast. My name is Rick Guzman. I'm an improv comedian from New York, and we're happy to have uh, the light of my life, <laughs> my creative partner here, because I miss her when she's not around for these conversations, when these fun guests, but, you know, life gets in the way sometimes and fuck things up, but, you know, you know where you love her, and you can't fucking live without her. Chelsea Bennington's in the house. I don't think I've ever been called the light of anyone's life before. So thank you. You're welcome. I don't know how to, I I, I guess I am a ray of sunshine sometimes. <laughs> Not much, but usually I'm described as the opposite. So I'm very happy to be the light of your life. I wish I could say the same about you. Right. I'm living in a world of darkness. <laughs> You've been described as whiskey in a teacup by your own mom. That's true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> But how's everything by you, Chelsea? Good. It's um, it's definitely gonna be a spooky weekend, which I'm excited about. Got I'm gonna go see Talk to Me tonight, and I know that'll probably be old news by the time this is up. But I'm excited to see it. Um, I've I've been seeing a lot of good movies. I saw Oppenheimer Wednesday, and I really liked it. Um, I saw I did see it in the 70 millimeter IMAX, so. That probably made a huge difference. And then seeing Barbie Sunday, I was like, damn, movies movies are back. I feel like they never really went anywhere, but I, I am jumping on that movies are back train. It feels like we're having a lot of good things come out back to back. Movies been fun. I especially like, because I joined you and Beautiful Lady at the Alamo, but I didn't go to see Barbie because I didn't know how much it was going to piss off conservatives. I figured I'd go see Joyride instead. Uh, which I enjoyed. I was about to say, you saw a good movie too, so yeah. It it was wonderful. Um, I did like when they announced that your theater was opening, and I I just said, unleash hell. And it was very much like an army marching towards the theater to unleash hell in the most wonderful, pinkest way possible. Mm -hmm. It was, and they were a great crowd too. Like they, the only times they ever you know we ever really made noise was when the barbie title card came up everybody was clapping and um everybody was clapping at the end too so you know and of course laughed when laughter was uh was evoked but um they, it was a really fun crowd i think uh yeah it, it it there's a lot there's a lot of reflecting i've been doing on that movie i know this isn't a barbie episode and it won't be but um there's been a lot of reflecting i've done on that movie especially the end because as you know your your girlfriend and I both like cried <laughs> at the end um and it was really really good I loved it and then Oppenheimer I was like uh pleasantly surprised by that I mean it's Christopher Nolan and it's Killian Murphy you know it's gonna at least be a very well-made movie um but I actually thought it may be one of his best if not uh, no, I wouldn't say it's his number one, but it's definitely it's definitely up there. And I think um, it, it was just a really good story. So, yeah, good movies. That's been my life lately. Good movies. Oh, I did watch. Um, and then I'll stop because I'm like digressing like crazy. For it's maybe the, the first. Show is. That's true. But maybe for the first time, I think I've seen it before, but I was like in my teens which as you know, was only two months ago. I'm a child. No, I'm 31. Um, but uh, the fucking Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie with Matthew McConaughey and Renee. Uh, Texas Parker, Chainsaw Massacre, the, the next generation. Or the return of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, depending on where you buy it. Like I, I rented it from YouTube and um, it says the return of Texas Chainsaw Massacre there. And I, there were scenes I, I most definitely remembered. So I know I watched it at some point in my life, but um, you know what? I'll wait because we have, we have a guest and she may have seen it before. So I'm going to shut up and, and see if we want to bring that up. Zipping. We do have a wonderful guest who I was pleased to make her acquaintance a few months back uh, by chance at a horror trivia event, which are a lot of fun. And we'll get into why you should go into them later on in the plugs. She is uh, a horror aficionado, a trivia and bingo hostess, and beer enthusiast. Stephanie Kane is joining us on the show. Stephanie. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I'm super excited to talk spookies on the podcast. 
I've been wanting to have you on since I've met you and I've gotten to learn more about you. But since Chelsea brought it up, have you seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation, which is not the topic for the episode today? I have not. Um, I'm going to be honest, and this is a hot take. I don't really love the original that much. I'm one of those people that oh. I'm not, I don't hate it by any means. Get her means. out of here. Uh, I don't, I don't <laughs> hate the original, um, but I don't love it. And it's, it's one of my upcoming horror movie reviews. So I just recently That's rewatched so it to do the review. Um, it still obviously is one of the best horror movies of all time. So I'm not saying it's not, but in that ilk, yeah. it is one of my least favorite of mm. the best. So do you um, think like objectively, like you see it as like you see why it's it's noted as one of like the best films or one of oh best, absolutely, you know, but yeah, objectively yeah. you're like, but I don't like it. And there's yeah, reasons it's not like it. it's not my favorite. I don't hate it. Um, if I'm with a right. whole group and everyone's like, we're all gonna make dinner and watch the movie, I'll absolutely do yeah. it. I won't protest or anything like that. But uh, yeah, that's one of my hot horror takes. And I have a lot of them that people get very mad about. Um. But uh, it's yeah, it's, it's just, okay when something is not do it for to me. your taste. Yeah, yeah, yeah but I can appreciate where where it lives in the in the horror genre. You know, you well, you are safe here. I have multiple <laughs> uh, hot takes and horror to the point that Rick has been like, "Please stop talking. I want them on the podcast someday." Yeah. <laughs> many hot, many opinions that may sometimes like you know telling me to throw a guest out before we even start the show. Yeah, see, um, I have. I, and my hot takes get a little I'm not like I can see why I'm like no this movie's just bad ah, listen there are some movies that are just bad um there are plenty of movies out there that people are like you just don't understand it I'm like no it's just not good I don't like I don't know so I hear you well that's the, the thing that I love about uh fans of the horror genre is that even the trash somebody will pick it up dust it off and care about it uh, very deeply. But uh, last thing we're going to say about uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation, came out in the mid-90s, starring Renee Zellweger, and it was Matthew McConaughey's first film. Uh, I only watched it once. I didn't watch it back then. I watched it during the pandemic, oh. and it is next-level bonkers. It's so if you want something that's just ridiculous with talented people that nobody knew they were talented yet yeah give it a watch <laughs> and they tried to get conspiracy theory about it i feel like the dialogue and yes i'll stop i swear this is not the movie we're talking about i'll stop after this but one thing i also noticed uh you know stephanie if you ever do watch it i feel like the dialogue it feels very like are you all even talking to each other like somebody will say a line and the person they're talking to, it just doesn't match whatever they just said. And I'm like, are, are we all having different conversations in our head? It's, it was fascinating. I was silent through the whole thing because I was just gripped by like, what, what is the goal? <laughs> what is the goal here? So anyway, I did watch that recently and that doesn't fit my movies are back, baby type of uh, vibe I'm having right now. I'll shut up. You're all over the place, and that's why we love you. <laughs> but speaking of love, uh, Stephanie and I asked this to many of our guests, where did your love of horror begin? So it mostly came from my older brother. So I have an older brother. We have different dads. So we're eight years apart, and we're the only siblings. Well, the only siblings that grew up together, you know? Um, so he was eight years older than me. He was so much cooler than me because I was this young little kid. He gave me my love for punk music, and he gave me my love for horror movies. Um, so actually I ended up, there was an artist that was at um, Necromantic Brewing, which is where I do hard trivia, that does these like VHS art pieces. So I got him one of the thing because that's his favorite horror movie. Um, but oh, oh, it was for sure him. Uh, definitely came from my brother, not my parents. My dad hates horror movies altogether, will not watch them at all. My mom and I watch every Saw movie together. So that's one thing she loves, which I feel like is a very random uh, movie series to choose but she loves the Saw movies for some reason but definitely my brother um, huge influence don't tell him that his head will get too big but he's the one that brought me into it well if he listens to this episode I didn't say it <laughs> <laughs> I'll send it his way I'll send it to you right. because uh, meeting you at Necromantic we, we had Ralph on the show previously um, had a lot of fun doing trivia with you uh, not just because I won a lot, 
um and and funny you do win a lot of the trivias you do <laughs> i noticed the second time you guys changed the rules even though i gave away most of the prizes so that says a lot he won every round of trivia for background on it we had a winner for each round and he just won every round so we had to change the rules that it was just at the end the top three teams would win prizes he was giving them away he was a great sport about it but we wanted to let people feel like they earned their prizes so do you think uh there's like an eye roll that happens whenever rick walks in for trivia now everybody's like oh crap <laughs> i'm positive there are some people that that don't like me and i'm fine with that but you know what honestly i feel like it's a really good crowd though i, I was about like to say it's a crowd. good vibe yeah yeah i do i do trivia other places and have in the past and sometimes it's a lot more competitive and a lot more cutthroat and people get very intense about it i feel like the horror crowd is just like this like loving mushy crowd because we're like we totally. found our people so yes. i feel like it the vibe's a lot different that's awesome especially yeah. in a place like necromantic there are some people that even though i was winning but i was giving away my prize and then there are other people that are just like okay this guy knows his shit mm -hmm. it's almost um, like a little tip of the cap to you that people but i also like, like you know, uh -huh. that, that if i don't know okay, an yeah. answer um i do take pleasure and other people do as well if you can crack stephanie up because everything's played on your phone so if you can just get her with like a funny answer i'm like fair i'll lose the point i don't care I do. I crack up on the mic. If people, I tell people all the time, if you don't know the answer, make me laugh. Just put something silly. But I get a sense of pride when I stump you and when I stump Ralph and Jesse, the owners of Necromantic. If I can stump either of you with a question, I feel like I did my job. So <laughs> it's not easy. It's not an easy thing to do. Um, and in attending these horror trivia events, you've mentioned that the movie that we're going to talk about is your favorite horror movie. Uh, it is a classic. Saw it 4. Is correct that is <laughs> absolutely correct do you know the restraint it's been taking me ever since she said she's watched every saw movie i'm like oh my god i could talk about that right now that's some great yes ending stephanie let me know if you ever want to do some improv um, but yeah it's divisive it's there's lots of theories about this movie out there uh there are people that love it uh there's one guy in particular that doesn't like it um but it's the shining the classic Stanley Kubrick film. So what is it about this film that makes it your A number one horror choice? There's so much. There's so yeah. much. So I'll, I'll give the high You're level here notes for and, then we'll, and then we'll deep dive. Yeah. But the high level notes. So one, I love something that's very unclear. Um, I don't like movies that really kind of spoon feed you answers, right? Um, and something we'll dive into in a little bit is the deleted scene at the end that would have been a spoon feed and I'm glad that they cut it. I'm very happy oh, that they did. I know. I don't know about this. Oh, there's a little, there was a, an end movie scene that we'll get into, but they got rid of it and it was very spoon feedy. So I'm glad, glad they got rid of it. Um, but I think so much of it is that it's a masterclass in so many ways. It's a masterclass in cinematography. It's a masterclass in sound design. Um, I, I had done a hard movie review about it and really dove into the sounds that you hear and how they freak you out and make you feel so isolated. And then it's Jack Nicholson, let's be honest. Like it's, it is one of the creepiest performances of any horror movie of all time that you just can't look away from. And you can't, it sits with you, it sticks in your head and you just can't look away from his smile, you know? Um, so I can't not love it. I mean, I think it's just an all around perfect movie in so many ways, any little bit that you pick out. Um, there's definitely some things that I wanna, chat with you guys about about maybe some filming things that didn't need to happen um mm -hmm. that that kind of put a, a dark shadow over the movie unfortunately but overall i just think it's a pretty perfect horror movie in every shape this this is true i mean i've got my opinions on it and i like that you bring up jack nicholson who if i'm not mistaken at the time was kind of the the sex symbol of the the 70s so to have him being the not so ideal husband and dad, uh, most likely atypical. Uh, got to go in with the set design and set decoration mm -hmm. of the Overlook. That's gotten a lot of people getting very thinky on a lot of things that even as a set dresser, I wouldn't notice. But the eagle-eyed fans of this movie notice all kinds of fucking weirdo shit. Uh, everybody loves the, or should love, the wild carpet pattern, oh, uh, yeah. which is why, what I love to see every time I go to the Alamo Draft House. Uh, that opening 
bit of music right at the end as the credits roll. It's nice and creepy and wonderful. The isolation of being there in the winter and uh, being inspired by the Stephen King novel, which... Uh, the one person who hated the movie more than anyone else. Yeah. Stephen yeah. King. And, and, <laughs> so. and I get it. What do you think about the film, Chelsea? I think uh, one thing that, I mean, I, I love the film. Um, one thing that always stood out to me. So I saw it when I was relatively young because my, my mom and my older cousin, who was very much an older brother to me, they were the ones who got me uh, into horror. And so I watched it at a relatively young age. And then I was very lucky when I lived in um, Savannah, Georgia, when I went to SCAD uh, at their like trustees theater and Lucas theater, they um often did like original prints uh you know screenings of different movies and they did one of the shining and the sound design for it like i had always noticed is a very well-made movie but getting to see it on the big screen and hearing the sound there was a certain part where um is it holloman halloman what is it dick halloran yes um he uh when he's talking to uh, Danny and and Jack, I think it was like in the kitchen or something like that. I just remember like while they're having the conversation, then he starts like shining with Danny and asks Danny a question and it gets significantly louder when he the way like just to make it seen or known that he's he's uh, talking to Danny in that well, way. Some ice cream, Danny? Yeah, I jumped in the theater because and I knew it was coming but the sound of it was just insane so it's something that I I just always remember when I went and saw it on the big screen but I've always loved The Shining I've had a complicated relationship with it for reasons I think we're going to get into soon with Shelley Duvall um and the treatment of her um but I still think it's it's an extremely well-made movie um I understand why Stephen King didn't like it, but at the end of the day, uh, that's fine. <laughs> it's it's a movie. It's not. It's when you when you have something adapted, you just kind of have to lick your wounds sometimes. All right. Since we've brought it up, let's get into to the the author. Uh, Stephen King has uh, was sued to stop trashing the movie because <laughs> he described it as uh, a beautiful car with no engine. And having read the book, I get it. Uh, it seems like, uh, unlike the book, Jack Torrance doesn't slowly descend into madness. It's it's a straight drop down. Uh, Nicholson's portrayal, in my opinion, um, is is that he was crazy right from the jump. There's no slow burn. He's there. Uh, he's out of his mind. He's gonna kill his family because the hotel said it was a good idea. But the movie is masterful. If you, most of it is just these three characters and a lot of ghosts and these, these speeches told directly down the camera's lens by uh, actors, with the exception of, of, of the kid playing Danny, uh, who are great. Um, I'm rooting for Danny, uh, rooting against Danny in this movie for a lot of it, just because, I don't know, he bothers me and my parents dressed me like that. So that's something else. That can be discussed at a later date. Um, but even though I agree with most of Stephen King's opinions on this movie, I don't think it makes that any less of a masterpiece. Um, have either of you read the book as well? So surprisingly, I haven't. Um, and I feel like it's something I will eventually do. But because it is so divisive and I love the movie so much, I kind of didn't want to taint my love for the movie. So another thing I've never seen or read Dr. Sleep. Okay. And everyone's like, everyone's like, how have you not done that? It's your favorite movie. I'm like, because I don't want to ruin my love. You know what I mean? Um, and I'm afraid that if I, if I delve too deeply and I know I will eventually, um, but it, it, it makes me nervous. There's certain things that you're like, oh man, the first movie was so great. And then all of a sudden you go see like, whatever, the second Saw movie. And you're like, please stop. You know, <laughs> you just, you don't need to go deeper. We could just leave it at the surface. Um, so it makes me a little nervous to to crack that egg. I probably will. And then I'll probably regret it. Um, I, I haven't, and I haven't read Dr. Sleep either. I've seen the movie and I liked it. I feel like 
that's an even more divisive one. I've seen like a lot of people hate the movie Dr. Sleep. And I, I thought it was pretty well made for, again, I didn't read the source material, but I thought it was a great like follow-up and I'm a fan of that director. Um, and Hugh McGregor, I thought he did a really good job. I thought at first when he was first cast, I was like, that's weird. Like as an, as an older Danny, but I mean, it, it works. So, um, Rick, did you read the book before you saw the movie or was it the other way around? I saw the movie first and I saw the ABC miniseries that uh, Stephen King had more of a hand in, um, uh, which, you know, closer to the book came out, uh, I want to say mid-90s, um, when he was having a lot of success with ABC miniseries. Um so I, I I dug the story part, but there is the case of it's not Jack, it's not Shelley Duvall. It's the movie is so iconic. So it's kind of in the way that, yeah, you could remake Jaws, but do you wanna? Um, so I get that. And I'll talk about Dr. Sleep at the end, but actually just recently, uh, but by that I mean in the past like three years or so. I did a back-to-back reading of rereading The Shining before reading Dr. Sleep for the first time. And it flows very nicely, in my opinion. Um, and, and really, um, I think, elevates uh, Dr. Sleep as a film in that way, much like uh, doing a double feature of both movies, uh, reading both books back-to-back. Um, it, it, it's... it's makes it kind of familiar if you consider yourself a figurative friend with these fictional characters, kind of like reading it and then following up with 112263 and revisiting a couple members of a loser club. It's like, oh, that's nice. I think with Stephen King books, so I the most recent one I read, um, which uh, Rick's girlfriend and I were both reading it around the same time, was Carrie. And I really enjoyed uh, revisiting that book. It was so good. And I and I do love the ending of the book more than I love how the movie ends. Um, but other Stephen King books I've read, I've read It and I've read um, The Tommyknockers. And I um, with both of those books, and I don't know where they're, they are considered in like the tier of Stephen King books but both of them I was like for the love of God was there no one around to tell you no and was there no one around to edit like I just was like there's so much crap in these like that just really needed to be taken out and even like you know some of the things that he would say and carry and, and sure it was a different time it's a male writer but I really cannot get like out of my head when talking about like a teenager and a sex scene that just happened with two teens about her coffee colored nipples. Like that's how it's described. And I'm like, and then my brain gets distracted and I'm like coffee with milk, black coffee, like latte. What are we talking? Like, what do you mean? What, what are these nipples like? Colored nipples. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> so I, you know, just things like that, that I'm just like, you are a strong writer and a really strong storyteller. I think one of my, uh, I've gotten some heat for saying this before. I do think Joe Hill is a stronger writer. Um, I think Stephen King is still an amazing storyteller, but I do think his son is a better writer. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I like Stephen King a lot. Um, and he's brought a lot of really cool stories, I just feel like it's kind of, you know, one of those things where I'm like, did, could, could nobody read something and say, maybe no, <laughs> maybe no on this bit. <laughs> um, I, I think when you're that successful as an author, publishers are just like, let them do whatever the fuck, yeah, even if yeah, it's a lot yeah. of cocaine. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, true. Some of it, I was like, oh my God, you were on drugs when you wrote this. Um, it's kind of the same with JK Rowling and reading the end of the Harry Potter books and going, you were such an alcoholic <laughs> while writing these. It's, um, it's an interesting like energy you can, you can lift off of the page, but yeah, that's, that's my take on him, I guess. All right. So 
back to the the film itself, Stephanie. Give me your love. Tell me what oh it gosh. is. There's that, so much that love. Got so, you like that's got the hooks deep in you that you beautiful. You're you're shutting out other potential entertainment to put keep this on the high pedestal where yeah. where none shall sully it. It'll be a very hard pedestal for it to ever get knocked off of. Like I will just say that unless like Stanley Kubrick comes like back from the dead and starts making movies again, like I, I just can't imagine it. Um, so something that Chelsea had brought up, which I think is one of the most beautiful things about this movie is the way that he plays with sound. And I feel like a lot of times if people watch it at home, if they're a little distracted, if they're not really super paying attention, you don't realize how masterful it is. So, I mean, obviously, as we know, the whole plot, he, he, they're going to this hotel, they are snowed in. It's the middle of winter, they're snowed in. So just the nature of snow in general, things are very quiet. You know, snow muffles sound, it's extremely quiet. So he plays with that quietness by bringing in these very, I almost want to say annoying noises, right? So there's like Jack Nicholson with the ball against the yeah. wall and you hear just the echo because there's nothing there. The typewriter in this big empty room. But I think my absolute favorite is Danny on the tricycle when he's going from the wood to the carpet to the wood to the carpet. So it's not just one steady sound. It makes you pay attention to it and you hear the echo of it and how there's nothing else. So it like, he plays with these noises and, and same thing with these volumes that he does, right? So there was one scene when like Jack Nicholson's walking down a hallway and he's like speaking out loud, but anytime he passes a mirror and looks at himself, he gets louder and then he gets quieter again. And then he gets louder and then he gets quieter again. Whenever he acknowledges himself and he does this a lot in the movie, he watches himself in mirrors. Like the one point he turns to a mirror and like sticks his tongue out, makes a face. Like there's a lot of him acting with himself. And when he sees himself, he brings himself up, but then he comes back down. And there's so much of it in the movie that just every time I watch it, there's another thing that I'm like, oh, he did this intentionally. Like this, this noise you're supposed to pay attention to. Um, and I feel like people don't really talk about it. People talk about the set, which is incredible. They talk about the acting, which is incredible. But the sound design is just, it's eerie. It is so eerie. And I feel like it's kind of something you don't see as often in, in the horror genre that this really strong play with just quietness um, and then little bursts of, of loud sound. Yeah, I never noticed that about the mirror. So good looking out. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it was uh, just, I think it's beautiful. And then, yeah, so when Chelsea brought up, you know, the whole when they were like shining at each other and he gets really loud. Like, yeah, he plays with that because he wants you to pay attention and makes you listen to this change in sound. And it just something else. I love it. <laughs> It does seem like a lost art in some places where um, movies that we have today that, and this is not like all movies, there are some movies that are still, you know, and, and filmmakers that are doing sound very, very well. But I have noticed um, there are some movies where they are having some trouble with like the dialogue versus the action and like hearing what the person is saying versus oh, yeah. the action mm -hmm. or versus other sounds in the back, like being in a crowd and really being able to hear what the person is saying, or if it is an action sequence and you're having trouble hearing what the person is saying, there's just that layering is not working. I'm assuming mm -hmm. layering is the right word. I don't know. Don't come for me, people. Um, <laughs> so, uh, uh, but I think that that scene is such a great um, example of it because a conversation is fully happening while they are shining together and it's uh, it's done so well and even if it's loud enough to the point it's jarring you're still it's still crystal clear um, so yeah I, I feel like you know some movies I've seen recently I mean even unfortunately I mean my most recent example is Oppenheimer just because I saw that a few days ago but there was some specific scenes where things were like hustle and bustle in the back and two characters are walking and having dialogue and I'm like this is not like I I don't know what they're saying <laughs> it's just yeah. it, it's impossible to kind of you know divide what's going on um so it's just for that being such a masterful film of its own it is still like a missing a missing element at some point so yeah just I feel like it's a lost not necessarily a lost art but um just missing in some ways not as appreciated of an art as it could be exactly in, in time. Yeah. yeah that's what I would say I think that could be one of the reasons why a lot of people I know that are younger than me watch stuff in the home with the closed captions always on 
Oh, I'm that person. Right. I maybe the they feel like they're missing something. Well, also sometimes I'm snacking too while I'm watching a movie, so like I can't hear the dialogue over the chips, you know. So I gotta gotta put the subtitles on. Yeah, too. Yeah, <laughs> you get some intense crunch. It's a comfort yeah, for me having them. I I remember Rick, his girlfriend, and I went and saw Halloween Ends, and Rick didn't realize uh, this was when Alamo started doing open caption, which means you know there's a difference between closed caption and open caption at theaters. Like closed caption, all movie theaters have that, but you have to like request a device. Um, but open caption means there's no choice; there are going to be subtitles on the movie. Um, so Alamo started doing that, and Rick bought tickets for open caption which i was really happy about but i was so used to watching everything at home with uh subtitles that i didn't realize till we were getting a drink after the movie and his girlfriend said were there subtitles in this movie and i was like oh yeah i think there were <laughs> it was just it was so interesting um i, I was so looking at the it. time of day and didn't regard no not a, not a dig at, not a dig <laughs> yeah. at you at all because it was a very new thing that alamo started doing at least our local alamo started doing and um and i'm not i'm not opposed to it i mean there's some movies i definitely don't want to see it with subtitles first because i want everything but like i just didn't notice because i was so used to subtitles at the time comes in handy from time to time especially if you're encountering some whisper acting yeah um, and honestly it makes it more accessible too so for people that are hard of hearing or anything like that and they can yeah. go experience a movie and enjoy it i'm all for it and if i'm crunching on popcorn it makes it easier for me to hear too exactly. so win-win yeah win-win for everyone gotta get your 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 lunchy munchies yeah speaking of uh not whisper acting uh shelly duvall <laughs> Oh my goodness. Uh, a wonderful performer. Uh, probably best known for this movie. Mm -hmm. uh, and and maybe olive oil. I think I would be the only other person to mention Popeye, but I wasn't gonna. So thanks for doing that. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, she every time I see her, like her face to me is olive oil. Like it just, I don't know. She was very iconic in that. So. I'm old as shit. My dad took me to Popeye in the theaters and fell asleep. <laughs> oh my goodness. He was a good dad, though. <laughs> took us to the movies that we wanted to see and took us to the movies that he wanted to see. He didn't give a fuck. Anyway. Listen, win win. So uh, what do you think of her performance uh, as, as Wendy Torrance? She's clearly dealing with the reality of a recovering alcoholic who uh, accidentally injured her son, but also dealing- well, uh, allegedly accidentally. So there's some fan theories on that that go pretty deep that I am a huge, this is why I love this movie because there's so many layers. Um, so I- Part of me, I have a hard time critiquing her performance because mm -hmm. I don't know how much of it was actually her performance and how much of it was her reaction to effectively being tormented by Stanley Kubrick. Yes. Um, so it's it's a hard, it, you know, on screen, she was so compelling. Like genuinely, that fear was so tangible watching her. Um, but I, it's hard to separate what was her performance and what was her being like just tormented and having to film scenes like 150 plus times um you know with an axe being swung towards your head so mm. i i have that issue um but some of the the less intense scenes i think i, I can kind of go in and critique a little bit and well, well let's if if you if possible can you separate uh a viewing of the movie before you found out mm -hmm. oh 100 uh, if, if, if yeah if what she went through because uh the first many times i watched this movie i was not aware that kubrick was being a Full dickhead, and mm -mm, now being I had a no crew, idea. crew member, I'd be pissed off. But that's me. Yeah. No. So I think, honestly, everyone in this movie, I think, was very compelling. And when I watch it for some, that's another piece of why I love this. You know, the casting was so specific. I mean, Jack Nicholson was there was no other option. He literally, Stanley Cooper called him, was like, "You are the one." The other casting obviously took a lot longer. Danny's casting, I think they said they interviewed like 5,000 different children or something like that from the Midwest and this whole thing. Um, but with Shelley Duvall, I, she, why I like this movie so much and a lot of the critiques that people have versus the book is in the book, it was a very shiny, polished, happy family that broke down. Um, and that's a big reason why Stephen King didn't like the adaptation of the movie because the family came in very imperfect and with a very 
dark past um, of things that have happened and things that kind of swept under the rug. I think that's more realistic, to be honest. Like a family is coming in is not going to be this perfect, shiny, squeaky, clean family. And I think she does a really good job of portraying this wife whose husband did something like unspeakable to their child and trying her hardest to keep it together. And I think she's so convincing in that, um, that it's, I feel like that in itself is so haunting just to see her. She's trying so hard. She's moving to a hotel in the middle of nowhere for five months in isolation because she's trying to help her family. Like her, you know, she talks about Jack Nicholson, how he'd been sober for five months. Um, so now it's gonna be another five months in the hotel. So like, I think in her mind, this is her protecting her family because she attributes his abuse to the alcoholism. Right. Um, and I think she just portrays it so well as this woman who's gone through it and is trying to save her family while protecting her child, while keeping it all together. Um, and like kind of teetering that edge that the hotel eventually just kind of pushes them all over. Um, I think it's an awesome, awesome performance. But then, yeah, in the later times when you kind of find out what was behind the scenes, that's when it gets a little, a little hairy to kind of separate out. It's, it's really fucked up to, you know, it's, these people are acting. They can, I, I, and I know some people have like to go method acting and be in the character, but you know, you're, you're acting, you know, you get paid to make pretend. Mm -hmm. That's the coolest job anybody can have. You don't have to really scare somebody. Pretend to be scared. You know, Chelsea and I, we do it on stage. Do we do it like Shelly Duvall? No. But then again, we don't have a tyrant making you do something yeah. like 150 takes on film has got to be so time consuming and so expensive. Uh, and I recently learned that on Eyes Wide Shut, Harvey Keitel quit because Kubrick made him walk through a door 60 times. And he's like, you can't get it in three? What? Why are you wasting my fucking time? I'm just walking through a doorway. Mm -hmm. and, and I agree with that. I've been on sets where producers show up and ask the director, like, get, the, not ask, tell them, get the fucking shot. And mm -hmm. sometimes things will happen. Somebody will blow a line. There could be background noise. There could be lighting problems. Okay, but get the fucking shot. Let them pretend. Don't hurt someone that they don't act for 40 fucking years. And allegedly, you know, according to stories on set, it wasn't, hey, reshoot this, but given direction of how to do it differently. He would just go, just do it different. Do it different. Do it different. That allegedly, you know, according to stories on set, because there's always everyone's side and the truth right but you know she would come off the set after hours and hours and hours and hours just dehydrated completely like just battered like not okay her hair was falling off like while filming like falling out while filming and all that so not a pretty thing um and and not with direction it was just just do it again but just do it different not hey i actually want to see you hold yourself this way or face this way or something you know so it wasn't um you know those are accounts from the set so we can't really say exactly everything that, that was said or wasn't said, but it's uh, it puts definitely a mar on what is otherwise, I think, just an absolutely like brilliant movie. So it's a, it's a rough, it's a rough thing to uh, digest, you know, mm -hmm. especially in art that you love. And I'm, I'm mm -hmm. positive Chelsea has opinions on this because Chelsea don't take no shit like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, the first thing I'll say is when looking at Shelley Duvall's performance and even just her character, and I don't think this happens as much anymore, but I feel like there was a time where, and, and maybe it does still happen and I'm just not in that part of, I'm not on that part of online, but you know, when a lot of like when forums online were really big and talking about films and things like that, um, there was so much hate for her character, like not necessarily her, Sometimes people would combine the two um, because people can't like separate. They don't have the brain power to fucking separate an actress from her character. And she got um, nominated for a Razzie too for her performance, which exactly. that makes me so upset. So, And I feel like a lot of people were just like, she's dumb. She's weak. She's stupid. She should have left. You know why she's still with him. She's cowardly, not taking care of her son, blah, blah, blah. Even though like most of the movie is her like fighting for her son. I'm like, unless you have been in a family where you have seen what an alcoholic man is capable of, 
um, to do to his wife and his kid. You have no room to talk about this character's actions. That was right. Like why she stayed, why she may be in this. It'll get better. It's been five months. It's it's just going to keep getting better. And and knowing that all it takes is a pin dropping for him to drink again, like just knowing that and just trying so hard. So I, I find her character so interesting in that regard. And I get so angry at her being seen as like a weak and cowardly, you know, submissive woman when um, it's such, such a realistic and really complicated situation. So that like, that grinds my gears. Number one. <laughs> Same. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, uh, the second thing, um, I mean, I thought her performance was great. I hated when I saw uh, and, you know, things came to light about how Stanley Kubrick was on set. I think um, doing that, causing that pain and torment and exhaustion in someone for, at the end of the day, a movie, uh, at the end of the day, playing pretend. It's why I... I can't help but always like eye roll when someone is like, you know, for this role, I um, did this for six months or I, you know, on set, you have to call me by this name. Like, I, I think I just saw that for Lady Gaga in the new Joker movie. Like she only went by Lee or something. So I guess like short for Harley or um, might've been Lee or something else, but only went by that on set. And I'm like, stop it. You're a comic book character. You need to relax. Um, but I just think method acting is such bullshit. It, it to me makes me, and this isn't always the case. And there's nothing wrong with getting into character, obviously. But when you're that severe of a method actor, or you're that severe of a filmmaker that you have to cause the situation, um, it shows me you don't know how to direct actors. And um, if you're an actor doing it, it shows me you truly don't know how to act like you you don't know how to turn it on and off. Um, I I have a performing arts degree. I took a, like I know what I'm talking about in this stuff. Do am I a regular like working actress or anything like that? No, but I've studied a lot of it. And there's so many different methods um, of, you know, really mastering your craft. And I think it's such a douchey, lazy get like uh just method to go like full method acting um and i i think it's also really selfish of the people around you um to do this i think maybe jared leto from suicide squad is like the biggest example of that like sending you know dead pigs and rats and condoms to your to your uh to your uh castmates what the fuck? <laughs> like they don't they don't consent to you acting like this. Um, no, like you're it's just such an intrusive intrusive and selfish thing. So that already bothers me. But then when there's the filmmakers that cause that type of situation where they're almost like, I mean, would you call it method directing? I don't know. But when they're doing that, I mean it's just abuse at the end of the day. Yeah, it's unnecessary. I so it's, it's, it's abuse. Um, but that, that really bothers me and it breaks my heart that she was, you know, already dealing with her own, her own troubles, um, in, in her own life. And then that being done to her, I remember, um, I was, what was it last tango in Paris mm -hmm. where Marlon Brando and that director were really, really terrible. And to that actress, and I hate that I don't remember her name at the moment it feels insulting, but, um, and they even um, assaulted her. She died recently. Sorry, hold on. Let me let me look it up real quick. Just feels weird to not say her name. Um, Understandable. Maria Schneider. Um, hopefully, I'm saying that right. But yeah, I remember Marlon Brando and the director. Who actually? Who gives a fuck who the director is? I don't care. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, they they were so terrible for her to her in an actual assault scene because they wanted it to look real and be real and I'm like you idiots this is acting for a movie like you're not saving lives sorry you're not you're not like this isn't the world will continue if your movie isn't made so stop acting like it won't anyway sorry that was a little bit of a tangent <laughs> that's okay that's no that was a valuable tangent I think. thank you um, and, I, and i have i have one last piece in defense of shelly duvall in defense of wendy um because i don't i don't yes, like when please. people drag her because i think 
She is such a strong character. I feel like a lot of people yes. they'll talk about Jack, they'll talk about Danny. I think her character, so there are a lot of things in there that when the internet goes off saying, why didn't you just leave? First of all, they are even portrayed as being very different in age. So that's number one. They're, they're really like 12 or 13 point. difference in age. Yeah. So there's, that's number one. Number two was there was the abuse scenario that Jack talks about when he sits at the bar and he's talking to Lloyd and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that had happened five months prior. He had come home three hours late. So we know what he was doing. He was drinking. He came home and abused his son. He didn't drink for five months after. And I think in this story, this was Wendy really trying to save her husband and her son. So he made an actionable change. Clearly it didn't go well, but (laughs) for five months they were doing pretty okay. So this move to the hotel, she was like, this could be a really good way to keep him on the wagon. Because that's what he keeps referring to is like, oh, I'm still on the wagon, right? But at the end, and this is a good segue to that deleted scene that was not added, um, Ullman, the manager, visits them at the hospital after everything. And he goes, so where are you going to go after this? Because obviously Jack is dead. And she's like, I don't know. We don't have anywhere to go. I think that's so important for people to understand that, like, where was she going to go with her son? So in defense of Wendy, she was doing the best she could with what she had and was trying to save her husband and her son and her family. That's not easy. So she's strong as heck, man. And then she she saved him. She, you know, like, I don't know. I I think she's the strongest character in this entire movie. And that's my defensive way. <laughs> hard, hard agree. Love it. Um, and I think people can can make that confusion if you're just visual, because mm-hmm. Shelley Duvall appears to be very, very frail, and uh, she knocks Jack the fuck out, drags <laughs> his ass into the freezer, and leaves him there. Uh, and just to spoil the book a little bit, uh, you definitely get that from Wendy in the book. Uh, not only because, um, you know, unlike in the movie, there's actually a, a little bit of good time in the beginning of the Overlook where they are a happy family playing together with Danny in the snow. And there's actually, you know, some some smooching going on and things are great. <laughs> but then as Jack in the book starts thinking, maybe I'll write a book about the Overlook. He starts going through old papers and researching Wendy takes over the caretaker duties and and basically ends up carrying the family as Jack starts be falling under the sway of uh, the hotel. And speaking of the sway of things, uh, as we mentioned, there's a lot of theories by a lot of fans in regards to this movie. So who wants to tell me their favorite? So I have one that is confirmed by the deleted scene and then one that is my absolute favorite conspiracy theory of all time which i think we've had this conversation offline um but but the number one is was any of this real did any of this actually happen or did they imagine all of these things and they were just hallucinating and kind of losing their minds um so at the end of the movie it's very ambiguous like you don't know were they actually seeing these figures were they there were they not were they just like in isolation and kind of like becoming unhinged well, they was obviously Jack always the caretaker there. So, but it winds up that all of those those ghosts and figments from that deleted scene confirm that they were real. Um, because in that deleted scene, it's it's Wendy and Danny are at the hospital. Um, so spoiler alert, I don't, you can find like the, the written script on on YouTube. Um, and it's it's pretty interesting. But they're at the hospital. Olman, the manager, comes to visit them and was like, well, the police went there and, you know, they didn't find anything suspicious. Like there was nothing going on, no, no bodies, no ghosts, no specters, anything like that. So then Wendy's like, oh, this is wild. Like, what do you mean? But then Ullman throws a yellow ball to Danny when he goes to walk out the door. And remember when Danny's playing on the floor and that little mm-hmm. yellow ball rolls up to him. So that seems to confirm that Ullman's in on it, that he knows that the hotel is haunted and these things are going on because he throws him that yellow ball, which is so that would have been the little nod, like, this was all real, this all really happened. Uh, but they cut it, and I'm glad they did, because I, I like the, is it real, is it not? That very, like, American psycho, like, did anything happen, or did they not happen? Um, I like ambiguity at the end of movies. So that's one theory that people fight back and forth, but the deleted scene seems to kind of tell you what's going on. Um, but number two for me, as you know, my favorite conspiracy of all time is that the moon landing was faked. Um, I just think it's fun. I was a Cold War history major in college, so... It's just one that I just think is a fun theory. I don't necessarily, I'm not saying that I believe it. If it came out that it was true, I'd be like, huh, that's, that's interesting. Um, but a lot of people believe that Kubrick 
was the one that filmed the fake moon landing in the Hollywood basement, like the Red Hot Chili Pepper song says about. Um, but in the movie, there's a lot of things that they allegedly say is him like nodding to the fact that he did it. Um, but I also wouldn't be shocked if he just put those little nods in there, like, haha, people think I did it. This is funny. Um, so the room number, you know, in the book was 217. He changed it to 237, which the moon is like 237,000 miles from Earth. It's actually a little more. It's like 238, 239, whatever. People said he did that on purpose. Um, the whole moon room on the key thing, how it says room number and the only capital letters were room and then the N. But like when you write number, the O would be lowercase when you do that. So I don't like that one. Uh, but then Danny in the Apollo sweatshirt. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people say that that's his little nod. I think it's probably Stanley Kubrick just kind of messing with people. Like, yeah, let them think I did it. Um, but I love a conspiracy theory. So the internet has gone wild on that one. Chelsea, you got any favorite theories regarding The Shining? So I, I looked some up uh, yesterday because I felt that would be talked about um, because I always knew there were a lot of theories, but I never looked into them myself because I don't know. I just never did. Um, I find the moon landing one so interesting, but the one that like really caught my attention um, and uh, it wasn't, it wasn't in the book, but it, well, it's this article says it wasn't in the book. So I don't know. Um, but that the film represents a uh, native American genocide because of uh because of the um hotel being built on a native american burial ground and like the blood representing uh the blood of just all the native americans who were slaughtered i thought that was a, have either of you heard that one i feel like it's probably mm -hmm. relatively popular i have heard it yes yeah and there was also that documentary room 237 so for anyone listening that hasn't watched it definitely oh, okay. watch it it's fun and they they dive into a lot of these conspiracy theories oh, nice. um yeah it's, a, it's an entirely conspiracy theory driven documentary oh, nice. um and oh, they go into that one too which is super interesting looks like it's available on a lot of things including to be in pluto for all my freebie girlies so <laughs> okay that that one I thought was interesting, but I had not I had not seen like I've heard of the ones that are a little bit more typical that I can't help but like roll my eyes at is like the stuff like Jack's actually in hell and this is what he's you know suffering with and uh I'm like oh, that's not really interesting to me yeah there's like um, the he sold his soul um, yeah it's not interesting yeah. to me um I mean maybe like diving into it like reading that is like the theory but not yet diving into it I was like oh, it doesn't sound as interesting as like the moon landing and um I feel weird calling it not as interesting as genocide but um <laughs> that's the phrasing but I think it's a little more compelling I think there's a little bit more <laughs> like meat to that word. in it yeah, yeah. so a little more I think evidence in the movie that that could actually be uh exactly with all undertone. the like, like the indigenous like symbols and everything in the movie like it's I thought it was really interesting but uh Rick what about you my favorite is one that I just stumbled upon a couple years ago. Uh, and I it, it's my favorite because I don't like kids in horror movies. Most of the time I find them to be useless and annoying. Uh, most of the time I find kids to be useless and annoying, even when I was one. But I found one that said that Danny is the villain in The Shining and that he remembers having his arm broken uh, and so he kind of plants the seed in Jack with his shining to uh, basically protect him and Wendy during that one uh, scene the two of them share when he goes to get his fire truck, because, you know, that's important to a boy. It's like, you would never hurt mom and I, wouldn't you? And that basically puts a telepathic block that he can't actually hurt them he's going to try but he can't actually do it and then danny calls in dick halloran to basically be a victim and justify leaving jack in the maze to freeze to death while he and wendy abscond in the snowcat um again i don't really put a lot of stock in these theories. I don't know if the filmmaker intended it. I love that people burn the lean tissue to think up these things. Uh, I liked it better when, you know, uh, 
like Stephanie mentioned, the moon landing being fake, when conspiracy theories couldn't hurt anybody. When people were saying Elvis was still alive and wandering the South when I was a kid, great. Because other than his family who was grieving him, that didn't hurt the population at large. So if you want to think that Danny's the villain in this, uh, the book proves that that's no, in no way possible. Uh, but it is kind of fun for me as someone that doesn't like kids and watch, but still will watch a lot of movies with creepy kids in them. Uh, I think Danny lost me with the line of, he's the little boy that lives in my mouth. Phrasing, phrasing is important. That just sounds unusual, you little fucking weirdo. What can I say? I feel like, honestly, I've, I've had this conversation in a lot of my horror movie reviews that I've done about children being horrible in horror movies. And it's very rare that you get like kids that are just stellar. And so I, I know when I like reviewed The Sixth Sense, I talked about it. I was like, this is one example of a child doing well in a horror movie that I'm like, yes, that is the exception, not the rule. And 99% of the time, we don't even need them. We don't need them. Like I they're agree. just, it's just going to be poor acting. It's weird. And then it just, it just breaks yeah. up a lot of scenes. I don't know. I, agree. I completely I, agree. I watched the most recent Children of the Corn uh, not too long ago. And it is not a good movie. However, the young lady that plays the main antagonist in that movie, never have I seen a child put a movie on their tiny shoulders and make <laughs> it worth watching. So I'm like, I mean, I've already forgotten her name. I'm not going to look it up because that's not the topic. But it's like, you're going to have a future and I want to see where it goes, young, talented lady, because you're the only thing making this movie worthwhile. So... That. So now if I can if I can get up on a not a not a full soap box, let's call it a half apple box and try to convince Stephanie to watch Dr. Sleep. If not, read both books. Oh, I like it. Okay, yeah. Um, are you a fan of Mike Flanagan at all? I don't I don't know. He did uh, the Haunting of Hill House. Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah, Haunting of Blind Manor. He did Gerald's game. Uh Hush no, Haunt, Haunting of I Hill went. House is I think that's probably one of my favorite horror shows ever done but that's my, my little elevator pitch is that it's not actually a horror film it's an exploration of how people handle grief and I think it's absolutely beautifully done brilliant storytelling so yes I'm in you've already told me <laughs> it's how people handle grief but with ghosts um <laughs> when I watched Dr. Sleep in the theaters I thought to myself Flanagan not a lot of people can successfully serve two masters Flanagan did in the sense that he loved the movie he loved the book and and the, the overlook's not there at the end of the book but he brings it back for the movie which clearly wouldn't be in Stephen King's book and and he he managed to uh figuratively not literally because Kubrick's not around satisfy both masters and people that know uh both things I've heard and it's it's tough to find if you can find the three-hour version of Dr. Sleep, uh, which I've not seen yet, it plays better than the two-hour version. Why is it tough to find? Is it a DVD? Because um, I can't find a DVD of it because, you know, not a lot of people are selling physical media. It was on Max for a while, and then they became dastardly, and that's why I support the writers and actors strike, because Heck yeah. they don't want to pay actors, because now it's a streaming. HBO was a cable company. That's why we changed the name. It's not in a contract. Well, <sighs> ridiculous. But yes. So if you if you dig that, uh, and and like a, a a a female antagonist that wears a jaunty hat, and who oh. doesn't? You should have just led with that. I was like, you actually kind of look like her, Rebecca a Ferguson. Bit. Ooh, maybe I'll, maybe i'll have to watch it that might be like a halloween costume oh that'd be a great okay. halloween costume for you I, maybe like if i watch it i like it <laughs> i would be a little bit intimidated if you showed up the necromantic dressed as rose the hat i don't i cannot guarantee you would get a hug on that day <laughs> but yeah if you like mike flanagan's vibe in general you're gonna like dr sleep yeah yeah i've been so so weary of of tainting my love for the movie um but I do so I have had both books just like laying in my cart 
just it's been a little bit and they've just been sitting there and I'm like do I do it do I not do it do I do it and because there's so much like heat between the shining mm-hmm. book and the shining movie I'm like oh, I'm firmly in one camp do I ruin it um I, but do. I probably will at some point I'm gonna pick that scab I know it yeah, I do think for me, at least for the movie, because I haven't dove into the books, and honestly, at this point, I won't. Um, but to be to be completely frank, um, but with Doctor Sleep, with that movie, maybe because of like how long it had been since I had like last seen The Shining, and knowing it was like a different director and and everything, obviously. I separated them quite a bit like it it did Mm -hmm. stand out to me as its own movie especially with like it's not like it's explaining everything again but it and I do think you would have to watch The Shining to watch Doctor Sleep um sorry if you heard that background noise but uh anyway I was able to put like Doctor Sleep like I really separated like I would I have not done a double feature with them I'd be interested in doing that, but I I separated them pretty. Ooh, well. Maybe maybe we get Necromantic to do that one day. Ooh, oh my god, we're gonna be there for like nine hours. <laughs> Just not hopefully not a Tuesday night because I can never go to their double feature Tuesdays. So we gotta do like a, a Sunday special. If not, we'll we'll have you over. Uh, beautiful lady bought a, a projection screen. Oh, and, awesome! And Magnum will hook up a Blu-ray, and we show movies in my garage so if weather cools down a little bit maybe we could do garage cinema uh if i get the double dvd set. yeah when it's not 95 degrees out right. whatever the heck what i think right you would appreciate uh steph is because uh, like i said in 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 the book overlook's not there but mike flanagan for the film brings the overlook back and they recreate those sets is it as good as the recreated sets on the new version of Night Court? No, but it's pretty fucking close. He said, having watched Night Court more often than The Shining, but that tells you a lot about me, doesn't it? Listen, you guys sold me. I, like, I'm in. I'll do okay. it. I would <laughs> recommend watching uh, Doctor Sleep the movie before reading both books. Yeah, I think I would, I would create my my movie mind in mm-hmm. entirety first, and then I'll go create the book mind. Because a lot of people will like the book better. I'm I'm guilty of this, and uh, I've told the story on the podcast before, where I read Apt Pupil before going to see the movie, and there was a, a, a questionnaire at the screening that I went to back in the day with a bunch of my coworkers from Tower Records. We filled out the questions before the movie and then there was something for the end and my friends are all leaving and I'm giving this questionnaire a piece of my mind <laughs> as to why I'm so upset about this film so I would recommend leaving the book for that because that way you can separate the two and, and have your fun and cast whoever you want maybe you can read it picturing yourself as playing Rose the Hat but not going full method <laughs> oh definitely not gonna keep out of method acting that is not my wheelhouse so I'm good <laughs> All right. As we bring this in for landing, Stephanie, can you tell the people uh, where they can find you either online or at your various events at various breweries? Because as I mentioned, yeah. you're a beer aficionado and, and you, you also earn a little bit of coin by bringing the fun, be it through bingo or through trivia, all through our pocket robots uh, to make people happy. <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, a lot of different breweries for some reason decided to give me a microphone and a platform, which has been awesome. So I appreciate all of them. Um, but the easiest way to find me and where I'm going to be is my Instagram, which is Long Island Craft Cutie. Um, so there's a lot of beer content, but also a lot of spooky content. I've been reviewing horror movies. I started that over the winter just because I felt compelled to talk about horror um, and people have loved it, which has been great. So it's not only beer uh, and cocktails and stuff. There is some horror content. And a lot of emo pop punk content in there too. Uh, but my mainstay horror, trivia, and bingo, I do bingo there too, is at Necromantic Brewing in Farmingdale, New York. So it's on Long Island as well. Uh, and it's a horror themed brewery. So if you're from Long Island or come to Long Island, come there and you'll probably see one of us there at some point, probably. <laughs> it's a good time. Like I said, we've yeah. had Ralph on the show talking about uh, how he came up with the brewery. And it's, 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 it's a haven 
for mm-hmm. the spooky folk. When when you find your people, you fucking know instantaneously. hundred percent. You go in there and shake your hands. And as I said, as a non-drinker, I love it because they've got Pepsi and Zap potato chips from New Orleans. Oh my gosh. That's the voodoo chips I, are my favorite. That's There's all I need. I mean, there's many, many other flavors. I don't know how you get them in New York, but I'm fine. <laughs> Chelsea, where can the people find you if they want to find you? Uh, they can just find me on Instagram and I'm still going to call it Twitter. Uh, <laughs> Chelsea Bennington. And yeah, I'm right there. Cool. You can check out uh, Spooky Doings on Instagram, uh, Spooky Doings Improv on Facebook. We're working on getting more shows at Young Ethel's and you'll find all the information there when we have it. We're also working on getting our usual October show at the Magnet Theater. So if anybody listening wants to hit up Magnet and say, hey, we like the the horror improv, you should do that more. Do it. I won't hold it against you. It'll help us out. (laughs) Especially also give our show a five-star review on the the Spotify and the iTunes because it helps us in the long run. You can check me out at Rick Guzman 718 on Twitter. Yes, I will call it that. Because if you're going to dead name people, I get to dead name your corporation. Fuck you. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Disrespect is a two-way street. I'm absolutely but here for it. <laughs> I respect you two ladies immensely. I adore you. We're going to get together to- tomorrow uh, in person. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a picture. There's going to be hugs. Um I'm not going to win trivia because it's true crime based, but I think, I think I'll hold my own. You're going to learn a lot. I'll tell you. You're going to learn a whole bunch. (laughs) (laughs) And to all our wonderful listeners, thank you for checking us out. And in the meantime and in between time, stay good, stay healthy and stay spooky. Bye.